Good morning, church. It is, um, it's several things, a joy and an honor and a privilege to be with you all today. When I tell you that there is deep appreciation in my heart for this church and for this pastor, words will not be adequate to convey uh, how much I appreciate him and his influence in my life. One of the things I talk about in the book is the importance of having a cohort, people that can walk with you on your journey. I've known you, how long have I known you? Maybe like 15 years or something like that. And over the course of those 15 years, uh, I don't know whatever he said about who I am in his life. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to tell. But in my life, he's been a constant and faithful friend particularly in my transitions. And so I thank you, friend. I mean, I, I, I could tell lots of stories. Um, I won't tell any stories about how no matter where we are in the earth, if you're with him and he looks at his phone and you're looking for something to eat, if he says, I think I found a place, know that the spirit of God is moving. There's an anointing that rests upon his life to find good food anywhere and everywhere. And so I won't tell stories about that, but I will real quick, uh, Maggie, because this is my wife and I. This is our, our story about your pastor. It was 2017. So that was the year my daughter was born. And it was the, the covenant annual meeting. And the annual meeting that year was in Detroit. And my wife and I had driven up. Now, the wisdom in this we can talk about later. But we had driven up with our newborn baby four hours from here to Detroit. That's, that's the word, woo child. And our baby cried the entire way, the entire way, because this is her first long car trip. And so we get there. We were there for a few days. We're getting ready to leave, and I comment to my wife, Maggie, I say, this is weird. We haven't seen Dave Swanson this entire time. So we're walking out, literally walking out with our luggage going to the car, and we're talking about how we're going to need to get ourselves ready for Sage, our daughter, to be crying all the way back to Chicago. We bump into Dave Swanson. Uh, he meets Sage, and we tell him, my wife says, yeah, she's, we're getting ready to get in the car because she's going to cry all the way home. Your pastor looks at my daughter and says, well, it's so good to meet you. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you're going to sleep good all the way home. And you're going to give your parents a nice, quiet ride. My daughter slept (laughs) the next six hours straight. So I just want you to know, we all know who you really are. You're walking around here looking covenant, Lutheran, you know, but you're really a Pentecostal. You're, you are not a white covenant until you are a black Pentecostal pastor, and we all know it. So the gig is up. Just want you to know, we, we see you, all right? Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. You have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say hold up. All right, I got you. And it reads from Miletus, he sent a message to Ephesus asking the elders of the church to meet him. 
When they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, enduring the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house, as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And now, as a captive to the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace, the word of the Lord. <clears throat> I want to speak for a few moments from the subject. You may be seated. How to make the next move now. How to make the next move now. Now, exactly how much time do I have? Okay. Okay. Exactly how much time do I have? So, okay. All right. Uh, if we're here till five, that's on you. <laughs> so I was telling Richard uh, when I came in uh, this morning that I li- what did you? How did you refer to Naperville, the hinder, the hinderlands? I live in the hinderlands of Tinley, which is not as hindered as Naperville, but <laughs> sort of hindered. And uh, back in 2020. Uh, in the middle of the pandemic, my wife and I were blessed to buy a home. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory, we've been looking for a home for two years. Um, my daughter, Sage, who I mentioned a moment ago, when she started talking, one of the first things she said was, Daddy, I want a house with a backyard. <laughs> I kid you not. Veronica's not here to tell the story, but it's the truth. Daddy, I want a house with a backyard. We did not have a house with a backyard at the time. And so we started looking for a house. This was a 2 year process. We had a very specific vision for what kind of house we wanted, for what kind of backyard that we wanted to be able to give our daughter, what kind of home, how we wanted to be able to have it set up to entertain and have family and friends over. And so we finally found the house after two years in the middle of a pandemic, walking in masks on and everything, walking around, walking in saying, this is it, rejoicing that we had found the house that we wanted to buy, asking Sage, does this meet with your standards? Is this, is this acceptable? Do you like this? Is this going to work? And so then we start the process of actually negotiating. This, this costs this. We're willing to pay that. After that, we do our due diligence. The people walk through, and then one day comes, and we actually close on the property. Now, this had been two years, and we were excited, so we called everybody in our family to let them know we finally found a house and then we had to move right then we had to pack then we had to find boxes have any of you ever had the joy 
of going to stores to collect empty boxes. Yeah. And so usually what helps me to prepare for a move is when our landlord says, all right, um, you got to be out by this day. In this particular situation, our landlord was like, oh, I'm going to sell your place, so take your time. Worst thing he could have ever said. (laughs) So we had to give ourselves a moving date. And y'all, if you haven't figured it out by now, I cannot stand moving. You end up having to find the boxes. You pick up, you have to clean up stuff that you thought you lost long time ago. We're moving furniture and finding the cookies that we thought Sage had eaten. Finding tools that I thought I had lost that I had long since replaced. Getting stuff, putting stuff in boxes, taping boxes up, asking my wife, what did we do with the tape? Realizing that we probably taped the roll of tape in a box. Now we got to unbox the tape boxes to find the tape. Moving is a difficult process. We were excited about closing, excited about finding the house, then having to deal with the reality that as excited as we were to get in the house, now we had to do this painful, irritating process of moving from this house to that house. And it wasn't even far. It's literally 10 minutes down the street. So I now have to put stuff in the car every day just to make sure that we're making progress for real. My wife went on ahead and scheduled the movers to come on a day. When they came, you already know we were not ready. So we're still packing up stuff and the movers are on a clock. I'm telling them, just go, just go, just go. Take what you got. Take what you got. Take the heavy stuff thinking that we're sending them the heavy stuff, realizing there's some more heavy stuff in the basement. You realize you didn't even pack up the basement. This is a true story. I didn't make this up. How many of y'all can relate to this? You can relate to this. All right. Now, here it is. This is what I figured out. I have figured out that we often get more excited about destinations than we do about transitions. I have figured out, and I found this to be true for most of my life. Maybe you can say this too. But for most of my life, I have found that for most of my life, I've spent my time either longing to stay comfortable right where I am or trying to hurry up and get wherever I'd rather be as soon as possible. That's been true of me, not just in my residence. That's been true of me in my career. It's been true of me in relationships. It's been true of me when it comes to money and finances. I've either been in a place where I'm like, God, get me there. Help me get to the promised land. Lord, enlarge my territory. Or Lord, leave me alone. It's real good right here. I'm straight. Don't start talking to me about what's next. I don't need a next. I could be here for the rest of my days right? Generally speaking, you all, it is our human tendency to want to stay wherever we are comfortable and familiar as long as we possibly can, 
or to get wherever we are going as quickly and painlessly as possible. Those are our human tendencies. Spoiler alert, neither position works when you are a Christ follower. I want to submit to you today that destination thinking is a distraction to our discipleship. Yes, sir. Destination thinking. Your pastor said, say it again, and I don't know how to follow this. Destination thinking is a distraction to our discipleship. There is an undercurrent to this message today. There's an undercurrent that you're going to hear over and over again lots of different ways. So if I mess the rest of this up, let me just give you the point now. All right? This breaks every preaching rule, but let me just give you the point now. All right, here it is. You ready? Transition is the way of discipleship. You cannot do discipleship without doing transition. Okay? Psalm 84 and 5, write that down. You don't have to turn to it. Psalm 84 and 5. Psalm 84 and 5 says this. Blessed is the one who trusts in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Discipleship is not about having our heart set upon a destination. It is about having our heart set on the journey of going with God wherever God goes. Trusting that wherever God goes is where you want to be. Should I say that again? Okay. Discipleship is not about having our heart set upon a destination. It is about having our heart set on the journey of going with God. Wherever God goes, trusting that wherever God goes is where I want to be. So, those of you all who are here to get your blessing, because Sunday morning is a time of the week where everybody goes to church so they get their blessing. I'm going to get my blessing, Lord. Lord, give me a blessing. Let me give you a blessing. The blessing, you, you want a blessing? Anybody want a blessing? Let me give you a blessing. The blessing, you're not blessed when you pray, Lord, let me stay here, and God answers your prayer. You're not blessed when you pray, Lord, help me get there, and God answers your prayer. You are blessed when you fix your heart to say, Lord, wherever you go, I'm going. The Bible says that the person whose heart is set that way is a person who is blessed. God, if I move, thank you. If I don't move, thank you. If I get the promotion, thank you. If I don't, thank you. If they say yes to the marriage proposal, thank you. If they don't, ooh, thank you. God, I'm blessed because wherever you are is where I want to be. Okay? So the question for the Christ follower is not how can I remain in a place of satisfaction, nor is it how can I reach a place of success. It is how can I respond to the movement of the Spirit and faithfully follow Jesus wherever the Spirit leads. Because this is Pentecost Sunday, and Pentecost Sunday is a good day to talk about the Holy Spirit or where I come from, the Holy Ghost, right? 
We take ghost out because we feel like ghost is spooky, but it's all right. The Holy Ghost, the, the, the goal of discipleship is not to remain in a place of satisfaction or to reach a place of success. It is to learn how to make decisions that allow us to respond to where the spirit is moving. However, the spirit is moving, whenever the spirit is moving, wherever the spirit is moving, whatever the spirit is asking us to do. Discipleship then is not about destinations. It is about decisions. It is about the decisions that we make every day to follow the spirit now. Somebody say now. Because you can't go back and do anything about the past. All right. You can't go back and do anything about that. You cannot do anything about the past. You'll never have enough information to make decisions that you feel 100% good about for the future. Can I say that again? You will never have all of the questions answered that you want to have answered in order to feel secure about the decisions that you're making in the future. What you do have is the ability and the grace to know how to make decisions that allow you to follow the move of the spirit now. All right. So in our text, Paul is about to talk, to the elders at Ephesus. We know that the Apostle Paul was an apostolic pastor. He was an apostolic pastor. What does that mean? The Lord gave him the grace to set up churches and to preach the gospel and to go to different places to strengthen the church, to speak. He went on missionary journeys to strengthen the body of Christ. However, he spent a special amount of time among the people in Ephesus, right? Now, he planned to travel to Jerusalem, but he also knew that by the Spirit, there were hardships and possible imprisonment that awaited him there. Despite those dangers, Paul was determined to go and support the believers. why, Why is it, how is it that you could be determined to do a thing even though you know the thing may not turn out the way you hope and want and desire to turn out. You could only make that decision by the Spirit. And I believe that Paul knew a little bit of some things about the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Apostle Paul, when he got knocked off of that horse, and he saw the Lord speaking to him, and no one else had that experience, I believe that the Apostle Paul understood the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit gave him boldness and courage to preach the gospel. I believe the Holy Spirit provided Paul with spiritual gifts that equipped him for ministry. I believe that the Holy Spirit gave Paul the grace to continue preaching the gospel even when he was beaten and rebuked for it. The Holy Spirit would over and over again speak to him even in dreams when he received the Macedonian call and the people in Macedonia were saying, please come to us. That's a way that the Holy Spirit speaks. And so Paul is receiving from the Holy Spirit. You've got to do this next journey. But he also knows that this might be his last. He might not have an opportunity to come back this way again. And so he decides that he's going to sit with the elders at Ephesus and he's going to spend some time with them. He couldn't get all the way to Ephesus. So he's like, hey, meet me out here. I'm not going to make it to uh, Kennecott Park. So why don't you just meet me in Hyde Park? You know, See, I'm not going to make it there. Just meet me in Hyde Park now. And he sits with them and they sit together 
and he starts to have a conversation with him. He reminisces with them about the motives of his ministry. He says, I was never focused on making a name for myself. He said, I was never focused on achieving celebrity status. So he talks with them. He reminds them of the motives of his ministry. Then he talks about the manner of his ministry, how he lived a simple, humble, consistent life before them. Yes, as an apostle and evangelist, but also as a faithful shepherd. And then he reminisces about the message of his ministry. He didn't hesitate to preach anything, but told people to repent and have faith in the Lord. What is Paul doing? Number one, if you're going to make decisions now about how you respond to the Spirit's leading, you've got to reconcile the past. You've got to reconcile the past. I find sometimes, Pastor Michelle, that, um, by the way, it's real interesting whenever you have a preaching assignment to preach in front of somebody like Pastor Michelle. Okay, Pastor Michelle came to my church to preach, and I got to preach the next Sunday, and they said, what are you doing here? Where's the woman who preached the last time? <laughs> Pastor Michelle, I have found, I figured out that uh, a lot of times we get stuck because we've not processed our story. We get stuck because we have not processed our story. It, it sometimes becomes difficult for us to follow the leading of God because we've not yet reconciled some of our losses. We're dealing with pain. We're dealing with grief. There's some stuff in our story that we haven't processed. And we're not aware that by the time God is speaking to us and compelling us to move forward, that part of what may be going on in our hearts and in our minds is some unreconciled stuff from our story. Paul was able to come to the elders at Ephesus and say goodbye to them because he had reconciled already how the Lord was at work in his story with Ephesus. He said, I have a clear heart. I have a clear conscience. I feel real good about the times that we had together. I feel real good about my motives. I feel real good about what we did. I feel real good about the work that we did. I feel real good about the message that we preached. And because I can see God, at work in this chapter, I'm ready to turn the page. Because the same God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now, the same God who wrote the last chapter is the God who holds the pen ready to write the next chapter. If God has been good to us in this time that I've had with you, then it doesn't matter what's getting ready to come up the street. That same God has not changed. That same God who was a healer, that same God who was a deliverer is able to deliver. That same God who was a keeper then can be a keeper there. That same God who provided here will provide there. I've been able to look back. As a matter of fact, the song said, when I look back over my life and I think things over, I feel real good about where I'm headed because I know where I've been. He was able to name the losses. And when you name losses, you can name lessons. You can articulate what the past has taught you. You can recognize the themes of your life. And often the themes of your past will give you clues about how God is at work in your future. 
right? The themes of your past. Come here, David. That's something preachers do. Come here. We, we tell Bible characters to come here even though they ain't here. Just pretend like David is here. David faces a giant named Goliath. David, we don't know exactly how old he was, but we know that he had not yet reached the age of conscription. Otherwise, he would have been fighting with his brothers. David decides that he's going to fight the giant. And the king, King Saul, says, what makes you think that you can fight this giant? David says, you know what? Let me tell you, king. Well, this one time, I was tending my sheep, and this lion came, walked away with one of my sheep. I was like, bro, what would you think you're doing with my sheep? So I, pow, smacked the lion, got my sheep back. This other time, this is the new Marshall version. <laughs> this other time, a bear came, and a bear tried to leave with one of my sheep. I was like, where you think you're going with my sheep? So I fought the bear, and I got my sheep back. So, King, when I look over my story, and I realize how God has been at work in the challenges of my story, I think that the grace of God is with me when I have to fight things that are bigger than me. So this giant might be big, but the lion was big and the bear was big. And when I fought the lion and I fought the bear, I realized that my God is bigger than the lion. And if my God was bigger than the lion, and if my God was mightier than the lion, and if my God was mightier than the bear, then I ain't stunting this giant over here because the same God is with me right now. The same God is present even here. And I know that God is going to be with me because I've looked at my story and I've learned my lessons. Don't be afraid in transition to invite God to walk you back through your story. Don't be afraid to let God walk you back through the things that you've been through. Don't be afraid to ask the question, why do I feel the way that I feel in this moment? Have I felt this way before? When I felt this way the last time, what did God do? See, a lot of times we get so consumed with what we did that we miss what God did. We get so distracted by what other people did that we miss what God did. It's nothing wrong when you come to a point of transition, naming how you feel, And asking yourself, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say to me about what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and what I've been through? So you have to reconcile the past. Secondly, you have to receive the prompting. Receive the prompting. I done broke the mic. Thank you. All right. That's great. Did I? Okay. Receive the prompting. We often... Listen to me, we often miss the promptings because we're too distracted by our planning. We miss the promptings sometimes because we're too distracted by our planning. I'll say more about that in a minute, but often the Holy Spirit is like, can you see what I'm doing over here? And we're too busy going, hold on, Holy Spirit. I'm trying to make this work right over here. (laughs) Come on, am I the only one? Would you tell the truth this morning? 
Holy, I don't hear God. Lie. <laughs> what often happens, more often than not, is that you hear the voice in your head louder. And if you can get to a place where you can tell yourself to shut up long enough, you might hear the Holy Spirit saying something to you that you need to hear. And that will be better than the plan that you're trying to make work. Paul says, watch this. He says, here I go. Verse 20. Bound captive to the spirit. The phrase in the Greek is deo honuma. Deo honuma. It literally means to be arrested by the wind of the spirit. Right? How many of y'all have kids? Okay? It's sort of like when you're going over here and your kid is going over there and you kind of got to go over here. Right? To say, oh, you're going to pretend like you don't do that. See, <laughs> see you're in, you in New Community Covenant Church. You want to pretend like you're just the calm, you know, just. You, 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 okay. I have snatched my child. Okay? That word literally, literally means to be snatched by the Spirit. Snatched. When I'm snatching sage, we're not having a conversation. Okay? You've had 30 minutes at the playground. All of your friends are gone. It's midnight. Come on. Okay? It is to be snatched. Now, <clears throat> um, I, I want to ask a question. When was the last time that you felt snatched by the Spirit? When was the last time you can say, I was snatched by the Holy Spirit? Now, on Pentecost Sunday, I promise you, listen, please, please hear me. I am holding up the Pentecostal wing of most movements that I belong to. All right. In the covenant, I am. Uh, one of the uh, board members of the Pentecostal uh, wing of the Evangelical Covenant Church. Over at Salem, our pastor, Dr. Dates, refers to me as the resident Pentecostal. And I wear this unashamedly, all right? So when there is shouting, I love to shout. I love to shout. If you might catch me running, you might catch me in a corner, dancing in a corner, in a corner, in a corner, dancing. But often... When we think of the Holy Spirit in those ways, we tend to think of those as moments when we catch the Spirit. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is not a baseball. This is a Pentecostal saying this to you now, okay? We don't catch the Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. The Holy Spirit is not looking to be caught by you. The Holy Spirit is looking to catch you. The Holy Ghost wants to be able to go home one day and say, man, I caught Sean today. <laughs> Woo! Whoa, I caught Brandy today. Oh, it was good today. Holy Spirit wants to be able to snatch us out of our usual tendency. Snatch us out of our habits. Snatch us out of our personality. Snatch us out of our behaviors. Paul says, I've been snatched, y'all. I love you, but I'm getting snatched. I would love to see you again, but it's not my decision to make because the spirit has snatched me on this Pentecost Sunday. 
can you say that you are posturing your heart to be willing to yield to the snatching of the spirit? When the Holy Spirit snatches us, he convicts us. He instructs us and he constrains us. He prompts us. He speaks to us in dreams and and in visions, conversations that you keep having, sermons that you keep hearing. You can turn on the radio, not on the gospel station. Right? Turn it on to the secular station and hear a song that's saying the same things in the song. Right? God calls you to go to the world and preach the gospel. And you're like, God, nope, I don't want to hear it. So you turn off the gospel station, turn on the secular station, then you hear, been around the world and I. Like, golly, you won't leave me alone. Right? God knows how to snatch you. You'll be sitting somewhere waiting on the bus, see an ad that has the word. God is snatching you. We miss the prompting when we think we know better than God. Because often, often the prompting of God will compel you to make a spirit-led decision that won't make any natural sense. You all, uh, roughly 20 years ago, had a good job. I was working 25 hours a week in the night at a school, night school, alternative school. I was a social worker. I was making a full-time salary. I had my weekends and my summers off. This was a dream job. This is a place that I could have let set comfortably, right? My former youth pastor was planting a church in Detroit. He was telling me about it, and I said, man, that's great. You go and do that. <laughs> I'm on my way to work one afternoon, and I hear the Lord say, turn your radio down. My radio was blasted. I hear the Lord say, turn my radio down. I turn my radio down, and I hear a voice say, you're going to Detroit. I said, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. I bind you. I come against this wicked word in the name of Jesus. The Lord said, when you get done binding me, go to work. Tell your boss you're giving two weeks notice. It was one of the clearest interruptions in my natural train of thought that I'd ever received in my life. I had to walk into work and say to my boss, I was in tears. I'm done. My boss looked at me like I was crazy and I was looking at me like I was crazy. And I quit my job. And a few weeks later, I'm driving a U-Haul to Detroit, Michigan. No family, no friends, no context. I was snatched. When I get to Detroit, Michigan, I meet a guy by the name of Larry Sherman. Larry Sherman was the director of church planting for the Evangelical Covenant Church. This church was being planted by the covenant. Larry introduces me to other leaders, invites me to a training in California where I meet David Swanson. Met David Swanson at this training in Detroit, 
also met Michael Carrion. Michael Carrion from New York, David Swanson from Chicago, says, hey, why don't you come to our city? Michael Carrion says, you need to come to New York. David Swanson says, you're from Chicago. The Lord is already snatching you back to Chicago. Just come back to Chicago. Come home. Serve the Lord at home. A few weeks later, I'm at the denomination's annual meeting, which I'm only at because it was my job. I'm just confessing. (laughs) It's my job at the time. I had to be there. Sorry, superintendent. So... So I'm there, and a leader says to me, Reverend Jerome Nelson says, I want you to pray about being the pastor of a church in Calumet Park. I say, I will pray about how to tell you no the next time I see you. The Holy Spirit snatches me, and I agree to be the pastor of this church. God had been at work in all of these snatchings, introducing me to people that have been with me, my entire journey. What if I had said, no, God, it makes more sense for me to stay in this good paying job. There would be no book. There would be no sermon. There would be nothing that has happened. I would not be married to the finest woman on the planet right now. I would not have the happiest little child right now. Had I not said yes to the unusual prompting and snatching of the spirit. All I want to say to you is that sometimes God will tell you to do things that don't make sense. And if you want to make your next move now, you got to decide that you're going to do what God tells you to do by his spirit, even if it doesn't make sense, with the awareness that God made sense. Did you catch that one? Who are we to tell God what doesn't make sense? When God made sense. Right? Follow the prompting. And then finally, rest in the process. Paul said, you know what? I'm not exactly sure how any of this might turn out. And we never are. We never are. I don't care how many tongues you speak in. I don't care what translation of the Bible you read from. We never know how any of this is going to turn out 100%. God can give you promptings. He can give you sneak previews. He can give you words of comfort, but you will never fully know the future. Paul says, if if Paul is saying this, who are you? Paul says, I don't know how any of this is going to turn out. All I know is that there is persecution and prison (laughs) and attacks waiting on me. Now watch this. Our vision board, you know, (laughs) married by 25. Four kids by 30. Five bedroom house, two car garage, retired by 55. Paul's vision plan, imprisonment, (laughs) persecution. Oh yeah, put persecution up there. Cut me out a picture for person. What is picture of persecution? Put that on me. I just, Paul says, I don't know how any of this is going to turn out, but I do know that the spirit will be with me wherever I go. So sometimes you all, when we have to embrace some unknowns in transition, we have to accept what we don't know by reminding ourselves of what we do know. 
God's called me to relocate. How are you going to pay for it? I don't know, but I do know that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I do know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, them and they that dwell therein. So if the Lord is calling me to do it, either God is going to give me some them or he's going to tell they to give me some. Because he owns them and they. So either I'm going to have the money or they're going to have it and they're going to write the check. Either we believe this or we don't. We get so concerned with the outcomes, watch this, but the spirit is more concerned about the becomes. We want to control the outcomes, but God is invested by his spirit in who we are becoming. Are we becoming people who are more and more willing to be faithful in following even when we don't know? Paul said, guess, guess what? I, I haven't figured all this out, but here it is. I count not my life to be more. He says, you know what? I, I, I don't know what's next. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. This is going to be hard. But just because it isn't hard doesn't mean it isn't the Spirit. I do not count my life of any value to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. Paul says, I, I, I don't count my life so much that I can't accept what it is the Lord wants to do next. Now, watch this. Some of us discount our life and we surrender ourselves to abuse, misuse, unhealthy things, Right? But then some of us, on the other side of that, we value our lives so much that we make an idol out of the way we're living it. And when God calls us to go somewhere that is unusual or different or uncomfortable, right? If God allows something to happen that is disruptive to the way that we've become used to living our life, then we think that it's over. Because we confuse our plans with our life. So if life isn't going according to my plan, then my life must be over. I never thought I'd be at this age, at this space in my life. I never thought I'd be 50 in here. I never thought I'd be this old and not have kids. I never thought that it would look this way. I never thought that I'd be at this point vocationally. I'm still trying to figure this out. Paul says, you know what? I don't value my life so much that I can't give it up for whatever it is that God has next for me. Because I see you haven't really lived until you've discovered something worth losing your life for. You haven't really discovered purpose. Pastor David talked about manifesting purpose. You haven't really discovered purpose until you found a reason that's more valuable to you than whatever you have planned by the spirit. And he says, I don't count my life. So in other words, I can give my life over to this because I've done some accounting. This is an accounting term that he used. I don't count my life. When I uh, was uh, in college, uh, Salem, my church home, we had a bookstore. And uh, I worked the cash register at the bookstore. And at the end of every day, we had to do something that was called a reconciliation. And what that meant was, is that you're you're ringing people up on the register all day long. 
and you're taking money for each transaction. At the end of the day, that register is going to run a tape. And whatever the tape says happened has to agree with whatever the money is in the register at the end of the day. So if the tape says there's $1,042 in of transactions, money you collected, then there needs to be $1,042 in this cash register. If there's not, if there's a discrepancy, then you had to sit there and go through the whole tape and figure out where you messed up. Either you undercharge somebody or you overcharge somebody, right? Because the tape doesn't lie. What Paul is saying is, is I don't count my life to be more than whatever God wants to do with it. Because when I look back over my life and I run the tape, I can't find any discrepancy in any transaction that I've ever had to run with God. When I was knocked off of my horse, when they beat me, right? When I was in prison, the last time I was in prison, the Lord was there. So after I've looked back over this, I've reconciled it, right? I've responded to the promptings. Now I can rest. God is faithful. God doesn't lie. So I can trust him no matter what comes. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy toward us. Thank you that you are the God of change and transition. Heads about and eyes are closed. If there's, I feel prompted to do this really quickly. If there's somebody in the room and you are experiencing on a personal level some sort of transition. You're going through something. Something has ended. Something new is beginning. Or maybe you are in a wilderness and you don't know what's next and you can't make sense out of what happened last. I just want you to stand where you are. I want to pray for you. You're in the middle of a transition that doesn't make any sense and you don't know what to do. You know that God is faithful, but you cannot shake the fear. You cannot shake the uncertainty, the hesitancy. I just want to pray to a faithful God on your behalf. Father, I thank you for your children whom you see standing right now. I thank you, Lord God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, when we don't know the future, we know that you do. So when the path is uncertain, thank you, Lord, for reminding us that we can trust in you with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. And if all of our ways we acknowledge you, you will direct our path. That's what you promised. And God, sometimes we, we want you to direct our path like GPS. We, we want you to give us an option where we can kind of push a button and see an overview of the whole way. You know, and make a decision about whether or not we want to choose this path or that path. God, thank you that you can be trusted. So wherever you're leading us, however you're leading us, whenever you lead us, we can trust the leading of your spirit. So on this Pentecost Sunday, we surrender to the work of your spirit. Now, God, thank you for snatching us. 
Thank you for conversations that will help us to have clarity and make decisions about the next step. We don't need to see the whole thing. But God, you promised to show us the next step. Your word says that you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. God, we posture our hearts to hear that voice. We know that it is the voice of your spirit. And so speak to us. Speak to us about career. Speak to us about relationships. Speak to us about decisions. Speak to us about the next steps for our congregation. God, we don't want to miss you. We don't want to get ahead of you. So lead us individually. Lead us as a community for your glory. And thank you that the consistent thread of scripture, when we look at the tape, we know that you've been faithful to do just that. And so we give you glory now in Jesus' name. Amen.